Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam, and today we're a Beetle Freak, so we're going to celebrate something that happened yesterday and today. Okay, for Beetle fans, you'll know what I'm talking about, but not just the title of the album, but the last song ever to feature John Lennon with the Beatles is supposedly supposedly the last one. Drop yesterday, and the video uh, dropped this morning. And with me to talk about it are two fellow Beatle freaks, James Rosen and John Fugelsang. And I welcome them to the show. And we're, guys, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to talk a little bit about the video and the song and the background of it. But first, of course, this important commercial message. And we'll be right back. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, uh, Brian Caraman. Since it is Just Ask the Question, I have two fellow Beatle fans here with me. I guess I'm going to start out with just asking this question. John, I'll, I'll ask this one to you first. Were you surprised by the, the last Beatles song, and how did it hit you? Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. Hello. Um, I, I was surprised because I didn't think I would be. Um, I've grown up with John's original piano demo from now and then. I'll never forget when the anthology came out. I was a, a young VJ at VH1 in my first broadcasting job. And I remember um, I already had all of those tracks on bootleg. You know, you could, back in this time called the 90s, you could buy <laughs> CDs with bootleg content on them. Uh, in the 70s, the elders say you could buy vinyl with bootleg content on them, but yes, I missed thank that. You. So <laughs> I, I'll never forget, I was in a dressing room and I played Anthony DeCurtis, Free as a Bird and, True, and Real Love, and uh, Now and Then from the scratchy, crummy piano demo. And in the last few weeks, once it's been announced that they were finally going back and, and doing it, the only song all four Beatles perform on to be released this century, um, and it's as much a sequel to what they tried to do for the anthology as it is to the Beatles themselves, uh, I didn't think I'd be surprised. I've been playing the original now and then so many times, and I, I knew the AI was there to bring John's vocal out. And I've had some experience myself with that, with some videos I've done where the audio was crud and we used an AI program and it really made the audio pop. But um, I wasn't prepared for how beautifully brief the song would be. Um, the orchestrations are just perfect. Paul's contributions are so subtle. Subtle. Drumming is great. And at no point does it... I, I kind of thought, are they going to throw everything at the wall and try to Liam Gallagher this thing up like all around the world? I mean, I I, I love Free as a Bird. I like uh, Real Love, the version Jeff Lynn did, but it sounds like they're just throwing everything at the wall. The most remarkable thing about this song is the subtlety of it and how it blends the old and new and the medium. It's um, I could talk about it for days. There's so much beauty to it. James, what about you? Were you surprised? First of all, great to be with you, Brian, and an honor to be on this a podcast with John Fuglesang, whose work I've admired since the 90s. Thank John you. occupies a special place in Beatles history because, correct me if I'm wrong, it was on uh, the show that John anchored for VH1 that George Harrison made his last public performance. Uh, am I correct about that? Yeah, it wasn't a, a show I did. It was just a, a one-off special we did. I was I was about to fly to London to interview McCartney for a live town hall special, and, and I was so excited to go to London for the first time, and they called me. And they said, hey, we need you uh, to stay an extra day, postpone your trip. And I thought, why, why, why can't I go to England? And they said, we need you here on Thursday for George Harrison and Ravi Shankar. And um, it was it was a, a very magical day. He came in to do a 10-minute soundbite, and he stayed for four hours. 
He wow. played four songs on guitar. Our our sound guy's girlfriend came to visit and she had her guitar on her. I put her guitar in his hands. No one knew what he would do. And he wound up playing four songs that he had never played live before. He did perform again. He did play at Carl Perkins's funeral, but the the uh, taping we did was the last time he ever played in in public. And uh, and what it just songs life in many ways. He he did an Indian Vedic chant called Prabhuji with Ravi on sitar. That's from the Chants of India album. He did a Wilbury song from the second Wilbury's album that Bob Dylan had sung, "If You Belong to Me," which oh, is just great. Great song great song and um and he said everyone sing along and i was the only one who knew the words so i kind of ruined that bootleg uh and he did, um he did an unreleased song which was magical that wound up being the lead off track to his posthumous album any road and then he did all things must pass which as far as we know is the only time he ever played that song in public yeah wow. i have the bootleg of that show i mean I, i'm an avid collector of bootlegs and i was i was pursuing it uh in the 80s and 90s and you know I'm a second generation Beatles fan, right? Because I was born in 68. So I missed the thrill of the Ed Sullivan show. I missed the thrill of running down to the corner drugstore to buy Sergeant Pepper, et cetera. You're um, dating but, me, damn it. You're dating but, uh, me. <laughs> it, it, to, to be a fan when John and I came along was to take advantage of what was truly a golden age for Beatles fans because there was suddenly an explosion of um, crystal clear quality studio outtakes coming out on on cds manufactured by yeah that's one of those box sets yeah uh, you know by by uh distributors with names like yellow cat and yellow dog and so on yes that's uh, right so wait so, a minute before we go further on that i still want to get your your take J james on on the song when it came out were you surprised? Yeah, so anyway i just wanted to pay uh respect <laughs> i know you wanted to pay homage <laughs> um you know uh there there's only one person who can just say the stuff that john fulgasang just said <laughs> uh, I, I once handed a glass of water to ringo and he stole he stole my ringo tour program uh he did <laughs> i got it back but that's a whole other story <laughs> You should really write a book about your interactions with the Beatles, John. Honestly, I've been blessed to have uh, both of John's sons on my SiriusXM show multiple times. Mary McCartney's done my show a bunch of times. I've 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 met Donnie. I I I, I interviewed um, uh, Ringo's son with the Who backstage at the Garden. I've I've been very and I got to interview Yoko. Uh, she was my neighbor for years, and I got to see Yoko's final ever concert in Central Park. I've been I've been uh, very lucky as fans get. Thank you. You're like the you're like a Forrest Gump character in 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 Pepperland. Um, <laughs> just a just a groupie. Let's go Zelig. But, but go ahead. Yeah, Zelig is probably the better uh, analogy. Yeah. So, um, uh, in terms of this song, like John, you know, I've had the song in my possession for almost thirty years now. Uh, the best collection, I think, of John's late seventies, mid to late seventies, Dakota. Uh, works is I think called uh, the Dakota Sessions and it's a slipcase edition um, and um, uh, I was also collecting avidly at the time whatever was trickling out in terms of the 1994-95 sessions by the so-called Threedles um, and so um, this has been familiar to hardcore fans for a long time um, the actual song itself um, you know was very moving um, uh, I think as a construction, it's a bit meandering, um, but I think the uh, the touches that Paul and Ringo placed on it are all spot on. Uh, same for the orchestration worked up by Giles Martin, son of George Martin. Um, of course, Jeff Lynn is never far from the action in post-1986 right. Pepperland. Uh, and Jeff Emmerich, is, uh, who was one of the Beatles engineers, uh, worked on some of their greatest uh, 1960s works. Uh, it, I think, led the engineering team on this. Um, I wept. And then when I watched the um, the official wait, video. Wait, we'll get to the video. Today, we'll get to the video. I, I wept yeah. uncontrollably. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I that, um, the, the, well, we'll come back to the video. I'll let you just ask yeah. the question, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, and I'll just ask it. Look, I, uh, I am that first generation Beatle fan. I remember watching the Ed Sullivan show with, my parents and i remember my dad used to make us get burr haircuts every time i'd go get a haircut it had to be a burr and then 
after the Beatles hit the scene, I remember going to the barbershop and, and going, hey, dad, I want my hair cut like the Beatles. And he says, you can't do it. You're getting a burn. And I said, well, the Beatles have long hair. And he goes, yeah, they have a contract. So that that shut me up for a week. <laughs> then the next time I had to go get a haircut, I said, hey, dad, how do I get a contract? And after that, he got out of hell with it. And he let me have the longer hair. And what we thought was long hair then wouldn't be that long of hair now but you know, in point of fact we had the hair before the contract that's, that's in point yeah but dad didn't need to do when he's dealing with a five-year-old kid is like shut up and get your hair cut <laughs> but yeah i and i wanted the hair uh so i i i remember growing up with them and for me watching them progress every album that came out was different from the album before which was something that had been unheard of you know, it, it, and my dad, my mom even commented on it. And it's what made my dad, and my mom, Beatle fans, where it's the fact that they embraced so much of music. It could be a ballad. It could be a rocker. I'd watch, you know, my dad loved Michelle, the song, and couldn't sing it worth a damn, but he would love to sing it. And so you grow up with that. And the first album I ever bought, the first two albums I ever bought was the White Album and Magical Mystery Tour. And I still have three numbered editions of the White Album, um and am lucky enough to have one signed by paul so that's you know that wow. was that's nice but that was my first cd magical mystery tour and oh it wasn't and then i also have the numbered edition the 30th uh, edition anniversary limited edition with numbered of the white album uh on cd but you know after by the way i'm not going to venture forward here with uh my various interactions with Beatles and George. Oh, Martin. we'll get to that. But I, I, gonna, but I did it on your show the last time I was yeah, on. If I want to hear it. Sound like yeah, I'm we'll get there. Do Don't you worry. Anything. I mean, but, my, uh, you know, my, as a as an original Beatle fan, I had less interaction with them than you all. I, I just rattled off my whole goofy list of all the Beatle kids I've worked with. But yeah, please, that's, Dave, that's, please don't hold I that. interviewed but, Paul in 2012 by telephone. I was allotted 10 minutes. We did 26 minutes. Um, and uh, only a couple of sentences from that interview have ever appeared or been published anywhere. Um, you know, I have had interactions with Ringo uh, and, um, you know, where he called, he actually gave me a nickname, which was Mr. Pushy. So, you know, I consider that I'm right up there with the blue meanies. I'm a character. In <laughs> and, um, you know, I had interactions with, with George Martin and Giles Martin. I've interviewed uh, uh, Patty Boyd. Um, you know, uh, it goes on. Um, one thing I'm proud of uh, is that uh, if you if you look at the album for uh, Ringo Starr, VH1 Storytellers, on the back cover of that album, there's a photograph of the band. And the only face that's visible in that photograph that doesn't belong to a member of the band is mine. Nice. <laughs> So terrific album, by the way. That's the best album Ringo's ever put out. Yeah. But uh, to the song. I, when I heard it, I have to tell you that um, I thought it fit in rather nicely um, in the Beatles lexicon. I felt like uh, the only way I could describe it is I felt like you hadn't seen an old friend for many years. You see him again and you pick up right where you left off. There was just there was that feeling when I heard the song as it was prepared. You could feel and I'm glad when we'll get to that in the video. I'm glad that we got to see all the parts that George uh, was in and Paul and Ringo and what they did. But when I first heard the new version of the song, I, I felt like, yeah, this, this is, this is a Beatles song. Now, are there other Beatles songs that I, I like better? Sure. Or, but it's, I don't like throwing babies out with bathwater. I like the, I like the whole mix of all the Beatles songs. And this was, this was great to hear after, I mean, I thought about it the last time, you real, I mean, there was what in the '90s, so it's been almost 20 years since the uh, "Free as a Bird" and and stuff like that was right. It's been about 30, yeah, yeah. But, 28. Yeah, but it's Month. 43 years almost to the day that John was killed, and when I heard it's you know one month short of that, and when I heard this song, I don't know, it took me back to the '70s so fast, and and to uh, that that night in December of 1980, and it just it put me right back in the same space headspace I was then. So for that, I loved the song, and um, I thought what they did with it, their addition to the song, uh, fit right in. I and and it was a minimalist. I was expecting overkill, and I didn't get it. I agree with yeah. you there. Um, and at the end of the day, I just thought it was. 
man, at the end of the day, it was a nice way to end the day. So that's how I felt about the song. Did any of you think were uh, were any of you expecting something that you didn't get out of it? Not John, really. I mean, James? it's, it's uh, I, the very beginning of the song is sounds to me strikingly similar to uh, Real Love. Yeah, it's a minor um, chord. That's why I think because aren't they both in minor chords? I'm not a musician, so John would have to answer that. Well, I know this one is a minor. I think Frieza Burr started out in a minor chord too, didn't it? It did. Yeah. It. it you know, for me, I, I. It brought me back to um, my my parents didn't know the Beatles. Uh, my parents were in the clergy, and um, in the 1960s, they were married to God. My mother was a nun working as a nurse with lepers in Africa. My dad was a Franciscan brother teaching Catholic boys uh, history in Brooklyn. So I I had parents who sat out the 60s and had no reference of popular culture. In fact, my parents never really knew who the Beatles were until I interviewed them. And that's what wow. got them to know who George Harrison and Paul McCartney were. Um, wow. It was amazing to hear it. It brought me back to the closest thing I have, um, 1995, when the Beatles anthology albums came out and we heard the first three Beatles songs. It brought me back to um, the wonderful Peter Jackson documentary two wow. month two years ago get back which is revelatory Great. everyone needs to watch every minute of that and they need to release the 18 hour version too i found it kind of moving last night on sirius xm we were discussing that yesterday was also the 50 year anniversary of the release of the album ringo yeah as the first album uh after the beatles broke up to have john paul george and ringo all play on it yeah yesterday was also the 35 year anniversary of the release of George Harrison's comeback album, Cloud Nine, where George did Got My Mind Set On You, uh, became the last Beatle to have a number one as a solo artist. Yeah. George was the first and the last. And um, that was the album that really made me a Beatle fan when I was a teenager. Wow. Uh, someone gave it to me as a gift and I fell in love with it. And, you know, this album was very Jeff Lynne, very 80s. It's superb pop craftsmanship. And when you listen to it, it's astonishing to think it's only 16 years after after uh, all things must pass. And yet by 1987, 16 years later, George was a completely different singer, a completely different guitar player and a completely different songwriter. The songwriting on that album's one. I'll put it up against any album he ever put out. What do you think and different so, in his guitar playing? I hate to interrupt you, but that that you say that, and that's curious to me. How, how yeah, you... George. Well, you know, George became identified with the slide guitar. I have a whole yeah. playlist that's just George in the '80s, and it's gorgeous. And George was a slide guitar virtuoso. It's it's interesting that Paul did a slide solo on this as a yeah. tribute to George because. You know, the most famous slide solo in the Beatles is on For You Blue. Uh, and yeah, that's For John, You Blue. Not George playing it. So, you know, but. Oh, Johnny, go. That's yeah. George's, George's whole style of guitar playing by the 80s and what he's known for now is completely different. Uh, I mean, his guitar playing changed so much. You listen to those early albums and he does. I think George Harrison does solos on the early Beatles albums that sound like they could be from a Velvet Underground album. I mean, the elegance and the the, yeah. the languid relaxation that permeated his music as he got older, I don't consider it yacht rock. I think the George Harrison eponymous album is just nonstop beauty. So uh, it, it was very moving that on on two meaningful anniversaries for me, and almost every day is a meaningful Beatle anniversary for something, but yeah. that this was finally released. And to me, it's a sequel to the excitement we felt in 1995, those of us who were too young for the Beatles the first time around. I could listen to Fugel sang all day. Go, James. <laughs> I could listen to Fugel sang all day. I really do love listening to him. He's so you articulate too, and so smart and so well versed. Um, you too, thank I you. I want to make two points. Um, one is that uh, there was a fourth Lennon demo from the same time period called "Yes, There Was Old with Me." Yeah, and I oh. believe that there was some activity in the 1990s directed at potentially. Uh, that song getting the same treatment that these three songs have received. And in the end, um, I believe Paul joined Ringo yes. on uh, a production of Grow Old With Me that was released on one of Ringo's EPs not too long ago. That's right? correct. And it's yeah. lovely. And one of Ringo's full albums. And and it's it's a terrific cover. You know, I always wonder why Ringo doesn't put out an album covering songs uh, by his three bandmates. Um, the greatest disappointment to me of the concert for George I flew to London. 
I was I was doing the TV show Providence uh, on NBC, and I blew my whole paycheck to fly to London over Thanksgiving break to see the Kaiser for George. Blew my entire paycheck from the that network. That means either it was a really expensive flight, or they didn't pay you much. <laughs> uh, it was an expensive flight and expensive to buy those tickets. But oh. you know, Ringo comes out and does a Carl Perkins song. It would have been Ringo could have oh. done "What Is Life," you know. So to hear Ringo actually cover a John song, and a John song that you can really only get on that Lennon box set that came out in the '90s uh, with with Paul with him is just just beautiful and it's it's a great great cover um Ringo needs to do more of that the I other agree point with... I wanted to uh, to make about this for the benefit of our our viewers and listeners is and for the benefit everyone, of Mr. Kite everyone has heard that this song is in some sense a product of artificial intelligence uh and it's but an important distinction needs to be made and I just want people to to be aware of this um just in the last year we started to see proliferate online uh, chiefly through the efforts of tech savvy fans not from any official entity um a series of of different ai creations i call them frankenstein creations <laughs> um because uh they would advertise as such hear the beatles performing god only knows by the beach boys or, yeah right? i know here's, i love it here's here's paul mccartney doing alone again naturally which always sounded like here's you know, what if elderly Paul were doing oh, Alone cool. Again Naturally, which always sounded like young Paul to begin with. Uh, those are mutants, okay? And they're yes. fascinating and they're interesting, but they're... Have you heard the Beatles do Oasis? It's crazy. Okay, but it's, <laughs> there's something... No, but I've heard Oasis do the Beatles. Yeah. Unsettling about it, right? It's huh. uh, because one wonders if 10 years from now or even 10 minutes from now, the uninitiated will not know that it wasn't the Beatles who did... I've that. had a lot of comments already about that, James. A lot of people... So you know, what have people have to understand about now and then, this final Beatles song, is that, yes, it benefited from AI technology, but the use of AI on now and then was limited simply to the task of extracting John Lennon's vocals from the scratchy piano demo from 1978 and making them audible separate from the piano playing uh, and it. cleaning it up so you could actually hear him. So the use of AI here was was really um, a, a one of excavation and not one of mutation or, or uh, fabrication. Yes. One thing I want to, we're going to take a short break, but before I go, I, I'd like you two to think about this in the break. Um, why, what about the Beatles attracted you to them? And I'll tell you, there was a lot, you know, watch, first of all, it was Ed Sullivan, seeing him out there and all the energy. And, you know, that was right after Kennedy had died and, and uh, the, you know, it was people looking for something decent to have fun with. But for me, I remember there's one telling story. I was in college and I did a Beatles show in college at KCOU, Columbia, Missouri. At the bottom of your FM dial, 88.1 FM. Every Saturday night, we did cruising music, and I did a, an hour of Beatles, and then after John died, I did a six-hour show um, a year later. And one of the things I remember going to a party one night in college was there was a huge fight. You know, it was a typical college party. There had to be 150 uh, people at the party, and some of them under the influence of things that you can't even spell. And uh, so you're... You're in there and there was this fight and it broke out. And a buddy of mine, it was a DJ at the radio station with me. He goes, where's the stereo? Remember stereos? Where's the stereo? And he ran over to the stereo and I, I go, what is he doing? And I can't remember what music was on, but he took and put on a Beatles album. And I think it was the White Out. As soon as he put that album on and turned it on, the fighting stopped. And then there were people that turned and he goes, and he came back to me, he was drunk as ever. And he goes, see, the Beatles cure everything. Give peace a chance. It, it, uh, if you don't get along, don't get along if you put on the Beatles. And and it was, I, I, I had never seen that. And it, to me, that was like, um, it, it was startling, but at the same time, it was life affirming. So on that, think about what, what attracted you to the Beatles. We'll talk about that and the video when we get right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Question's newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com 
slash JATQ podcast. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Kerman. Today, we're talking about the last Beatles song ever to be uh, heard of again. Uh, and it's now and again, of course, um, and, and John and I and James, I think you both know this is kind of something that one of the reasons why Paul took it upon himself was uh, this is supposedly like the last thing that John ever said to Paul when they last saw each other outside of the Dakota every now and then think of me, old friend. And um, so the, there is some special meaning in the title and in, and in the song. But before we went to break, I asked you guys what what attracted you to the Beatles. Um, and I, I'll start, James, I'll give you the shot there. What 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 attracted you to the Beatles? So I think we need to distinguish between, um, in answering the question, uh, between how, what was your origin story in the sense of um, what put you in the proximity of the Beatles. And for me, that would be my older brother, who's five years older and used to taunt me by saying you missed everything you missed the Beatles you missed the amazing Mets you missed Woodstock you know Muhammad Ali you missed it and I became obsessed with all of those things and I still am and I took it to an insane archival um degree so but your brother knew how to pull your trigger didn't he <laughs> yes then now and then um and um but to your question of what attracted you to them because it's one thing to be put into proximity with something right. and you know in you asked us to think about this during the break, and it, I was reminded of, uh, I think, a recent interview I saw with Paul where he said, uh, you know, he was asked about all the girls going so crazy, and and he said, can you blame them? <laughs> <laughs> right? Because um, Cheeky devil. Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead just talk about how insanely attractive everything about the Beatles was. So what attracted you to them? Their insane attractiveness. Uh, Derek Taylor, their their former publicist and, and confidant, uh, in, I believe, the liner notes for the anthology series described the Beatles as the greatest romance of the 20th century. Wow. Um, and they were just such, uh, you know, uh, to, to speak about them is just everything about them seems archetypal. And, and, and that's not I don't think it's just a retroactive kind of uh, application or, or a uh, kind of grafting onto their story. Um, they were the greatest composers they were the greatest instrument or, or instrumentalists they were the and not really i mean no one would put george harrison up against Jimi hendrix let's say or 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 stevie ray vaughn we were talking about george's guitar playing earlier i would but... a friend of mine who is a guitarist says george doesn't play a whole lot of notes but he plays the notes people want to hear and he was uh, when he had time and space he could create these he could craft these extraordinary solos uh often spare he wasn't about like how many notes can I hit in a nanosecond. When you listen to the live early Beatles recordings, so frequently George cannot perform a competent solo. And you can hear Paul trying to rescue the number by injecting a yeah, you know, like at a, at a critical moment because he can feel the energy flagging. Uh, and so George wasn't great as a live performer, I would say, in terms of his soloing. Um, but but they were just they were so gifted in so many areas and they were just in their charm and their magnetism and their trousers, <laughs> you know, can anyone for for for, you know, for me, it's, you know, Derek Taylor also said that when he first went to see them live in the early 60s, he realized right away that he wanted to spend the rest of his life with them. They they inspired and continue to inspire a kind of a kind of quasi religious fervor. Uh, Timothy Leary said that the Beatles are a new race of laughing young freemen. Um, <laughs> Roger Roger Ebert said that the Beatles, that from Hard Day's Night, the Beatles gave us um, not only new new songs and new styles of music and new styles of fashion and wearing your hair and the rest of it, 
But literally the way they actually sat, the way they actually walked, the way they comported themselves, he said it was, uh, in essence, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but fairly closely, a blueprint for how to live in an ossified society. That's what attracted me. How about you, John? I mean, I agree with everything James said. I think I would actually say that more people probably know more George Harrison's solos by heart, note for note, beat by beat, than they do Jimi Hendrix or Jimmy Page solos. Um, so I don't know how we measure greatness, but I think George Harrison probably had more solos uh, that our souls have learned by heart and memorized than any other guitarist. Um, I also think, you know, for me, I I I grew up with the Beatles always around. You know, I didn't need parents who liked them because they were. You, you just leave the house, you'll hear Beatles songs. And when I really started listening, it wasn't until I was older and had part-time jobs where I was in cars and you know other people were playing music and I could actually hear the Red and Blue albums and went, oh, I know that song, I know that song. And then I got my first cassette like when I was sixteen or seventeen, and then I was. That was it. I was a latecomer to it around 17 when I or 18 when I began really listening to the Beatles. And within a couple of years, I was the biggest freak anybody knew. It just it, it, it can be a about freaked me. And I thought I was the original Beatle freak. Well, no, but it it, it is like a, a religion or a spiritual devotion for some people. God knows. I mean, I've seen Bob Dylan live 63 times and there are people who are in a cult. But yeah. um, the Beatles, we should also remember, invented the concept of a solo career. And, you know, I don't think you can really talk about the Beatles body of work without including all four solo careers, including their solo live careers. I I think the story is incomplete if you neglect that part of it. And what's moving is that, you know, the, the three songs, the three Beatles put out also show the growth that, that George and Paul had after the band broke up and those drumming on free as a bird is still just fantastic. Um, so, you know, that's that's something that's very important to me. I don't think you can really understand the Beatles and their stories if you don't do deep dives into all four of them, because Ringo's put out some really interesting, lovely music. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that's got to be a, a, a part of the complete whole. Can I just add yeah. to that? Yeah. Um, all four Beatles were revolutionary musical geniuses. OK, well, uh, there is a narrative about John Lennon that by the time he was killed, uh, he had reached a new stage of maturity uh he and yoko had had a child he had stayed home to bake bread and raise that child and elements of that story are true but the idea that john reached some new stage of of maturity by that point is belied by one particular publication we talked about this when i was on your show last brian uh in september 1980 when he was promoting the double fantasy album and just a you know several weeks before he was killed he gave an interview to Newsweek magazine to a writer named Barbara Graustark, uh, who later published a book based on those interviews. And he said, when asked for the umpteenth time about the prospect of the Beatles reunion, look, I'm paraphrasing, but again, closely, if you go back and, and look at the Newsweek article from 1980, it was me and Paul, and it could have been any other two guys, right? Let's face it. That's such a such an offensive statement. And it suggests to me that John really hadn't arrived at, uh, he might have had he lived, but he hadn't arrived at at the state of maturity, which would have enabled him to recognize what we all recognize today, which was that all four Beatles were musical geniuses. It wouldn't have worked with any other two guys. Ringo Starr, in my view, revolutionized drumming not once, but twice with with the extraordinary drumming on the early Beatles songs. And then his adaptation to the evolving musical styles of Lennon and McCartney, his use of toms, and so on. Um, and it bothers me when um, people say, you know, who's your favorite Beatle? Or I don't, I can't pick Beatles one. song or your favorite Beatles album. Would I really rescue uh, Thank You Girl over Helter Skelter from a burning building? <laughs> you know? Yes, I would rescue them all. I'd go in and die for all. No, <laughs> I'll say this the whole is whenever I'm asked that, who is your favorite Beatle? Well, when I was a kid, it was Paul McCartney because I kind of looked. You know, that was, you know, I was four or five years old. Paul looks, you know, my my mom would go, you look like Paul. And she'd get me the haircut and for trick-or-treating, you know, I'd get the Beatle mask. Remember the cheap uh, Halloween suits that we would have, you know, back then you stick your arm in one and you got the rubber band around a plastic mask. You can barely breathe up through. (laughs) And that was, that was me. That was Paul. But, and then 
when John died, you know, for a while, it, it was it was John's work. And the fact that um, for me, um, beautiful boy reminded me too much of my own kid. I know that um, Paul has said that's one of his favorite John songs. Um, and it was a woman is the song that my wife and I, we had just started dating when that came out. And uh, so that's always had some special meaning for me. But all said, I don't have a favorite Beatle. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And there were I have a favorite solo of, Beatle. Well, uh, there was. I, I allow oh, that indulgence. Okay, I'll give you that indulgence. But I will say the other thing, as a musician, when people talk about the music of the Beatles, um, I've learned something as a musician. And that is they are deceptively simple. They sound simple, but they're not easy to execute on on, on guitar. Now, also being in a band, I can tell you that if I can walk into a, um, <clears throat> a venue and if I play any other band and I'm close, they'll give it to you. They'll like it. In fact, you can screw up the Stones and make the Stones anything you want because most of their songs to me sound like pub, bar, you know, like you're in a pub anyway. So that, that, you know, so you can do them the way you want. But if you do the Beatles <laughs> and you don't do them right, and there's nothing unique about your interpretation of not doing it as they did it, you're going to get hung by yeah. because people love the Beatles. And there is something, as far as them being uh, musical geniuses, I'll only say it this way, that, that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And when they put, I, I mean, slow down. I mean, some of the stuff that they incorporated even in their covers was stuff that, and that's why, you know, certain covers that they do um, are often thought of as Beatles songs first because of how they did them. And as a, as a musician, it's that for me, um, and I know a lot of this was also done in post, but the second side of Abbey Road, I think is just uh, unapproached by you know, most musicians, they, they would love to have that once. once you know, if someone said to me, James, um, you know, uh, this is insane. This is insane talk. But like the rest of your, you know, your family has renounced you, but you have the option to 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 spend the rest of your life in a white padded room listening to Thank You Girl over and over again. <laughs> I don't know that I'd be entirely displeased. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for John. What was, the first, what was the first bootleg that you uh, purchased or or what got you into the bootleg collecting world? Um, I, I was running a dorm for NYU and doing stand-up comedy at night uh, after I graduated. And some kid in the building was into bootlegs and began giving me cassettes. So it was just getting a lot of Beatles and, and Bob Dylan cassettes um, and listening to those. And then that that's a gateway drug to, uh, to the CDs. And now, <laughs> oh my God, the... The amount of bootleg CDs I still own in the streaming age. I, I've, I've gotten rid of most of my real legit CDs, but I'll never part with my bootlegs. Um, you know, there's a lot of famous ones and a lot of bad ones. Uh, Toot and a Snore in 74, uh, which which um, we've discussed online in the past, James, right. uh, is is legendary and mythical and really bad. It's a bunch of guys <laughs> on uh, messing around in the studio and it's not very interesting. Um, but, you know, I, I've but always... You can loved... hear John and Paul harmonizing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we should explain to the viewers what that is, John. Sure, because um, I had to I had to explain it to Paul McCartney on live TV once because someone asked about it on our town hall, and Paul turned to me and goes, "John, do you know about this?" And I I, I did. This was um this was John and Paul in, in 1974 at a session in L.A. with Stevie Wonder, and Paul stopped by, and they're all doing a lot of coke. Uh, you hear John at one point say, "Stevie, do you want to do a toot?" <laughs> um, and it's boring. So it's called a toot and a snore in 74. And it's just them playing in the studio. It'll never be released. Um, but, uh, you know, there's also great stuff out there. I mean, well, the get back stuff, uh, the get back stuff. And, and, and I've had tons of that. And now a lot of that's been released, you know, yeah, but before that, I would go with the, um, the, the early stuff is not as prolific, but once you got into, um, I, I think it it's not the magical mystery tour sessions, but uh, Sergeant Pepper sessions. And yeah. that's when I thought that the bootlegs really took off and it was wild to hear some of the alternative versions to some of the songs. Yeah. I mean, you know, the basement tapes is considered like the granddaddy of all bootlegs. It was called yep. the great white wonder when it first came out on vinyl in the seventies. And, and it was I so have two copies of it. 
brilliant. It was so popular they had to actually um uh release the album. And my my wife, when we were first dating, used to get me some wonderful George Harrison uh bootleg compilations, just like live stuff, B-sides, things that had never been released. There's so much beautiful George stuff from the 80s that has still never been put out. His on rock line show. The rock line show. Rock line show is incredible. Everyone should try to hear the whole thing. There's a popular nine-minute version of it, but it's promoting uh Cloud Nine in 87 and George and Jeff Lynn are together going into radio studios. George is stoned out of his mind. They not both even in guitar, tune with ourselves. Not even in tune with ourselves. And <laughs> um, and they just start, George just plays anything that pops into his head from the bells of Remy to Mr. Tambourine Man to Every Grain of Sand to something and Here Comes the Sun. And Let and It Be Me is on that. In the middle of it, George and Jeff go into an impromptu Let It Be Me by the Everleys with the most beautiful harmonizing you've ever heard anyone do it's completely unrehearsed they did put out a version of let it be me by george on the early takes album yes. it does not compare does not compare i agree i agree what he and okay. jeff do but i do want to say there's still other unreleased beatles songs yes and well we'll Carnival. get to that too i mean there's of light. that's part when they say this is the last beatles song look i know of other songs that were recorded that and it, including and you can get this one pretty much anywhere. You know, Paul McCartney put together uh, for Badfinger, you, you know, he put together a, an entire and said, here's how do you do it. They did it. It became a number one hit. It's and his come and get it on Anthology yeah, 2. It's superior, it's superior yeah. to the Badfinger version. It, it is. and But there's all kinds of stuff like that that have, and I have a bunch of that. And I was going, well, you know, so that's a bit of a misnomer. I understand why they say it's the, the last Beatles song ever. But here's the question that I've been dying to ask both of you. Do you remember that? And, and I was a member, and I used to get these every Christmas. The Christmas, you know, I was a member yeah. of the Beatles Club. And so I have all of the the floppy little vinyls. And then, of course, wow. the final one of the, you know, the final year when they released it, the Christmas stuff. When and they weren't even talking to each other. Yeah, and yes, <laughs> Magic Christian, Magic Christian, Magic Christian, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, poor Elena, poor, you know, the whole thing. But you go through it. In the beginning, if you listen to all of their release on the album that they released, the Christmas album, from each year, they progress from, you know, they're making fun of yesterday in 1964 and 65. And then it advances to where it's almost like Monty Python-esque humor. And you you listen to that and you think of the of Magical Mystery Tour and you, you go back to uh, John Cleese when I interviewed him and he said, absolutely, they were an influence on what we did. And you go back and, and of course, Handmade, what was it, Handmade uh, Tales that uh, George put handmade together? Films. Yeah. yeah, Handmade Films. Um, I'm thinking of the new movie, but, uh, but there's, there's, that's, I don't think people understand the influence that the Beatles have had across, not just music, but culture. It, I want to add, you can listen to those Christmas albums and they, they serve as a chronicle of how the Beatles got into increasingly more interesting drugs too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You have the, you have the, you have the alcohol Christmas album, the speed Christmas album, yeah. the weed Christmas album, the psychedelic Christmas album, and then more interesting things than that. Yeah. Um, the cold Turkey Christmas album. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> All right, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the film. Uh, and and uh, James, you were talking. I when I saw the film, there were a couple of things that came to mind. I mean, I, I got it was goose flesh for me. Let's just see. make sure that the people understand you're talking. Well, about I'm talking about the, the film of the last, the official release that just dropped at ten o'clock this morning. No, um, but do you mean the music video, not the documentary film right, about the, the music video, video right. regarding the song, not the documentary, the ten minute. Uh, I wept at both, so you know. Well, the one that I saw this morning brought goose flesh to me, and it's uh, I, I was haunted by it, and I think there was a bit of melancholy involved as well because you realize that um, in the end, when you see Paul and you see Ringo together, and you realize the other two are gone, just how much to me it's you know what, and I know it's the ultimate lament, but what did we miss? after because of 1980 would the beatles have gotten together would they have played you know they had played together john and paul at one point in time were watching saturday night live when they did a you know getting the beatles together and they thought about going they were at the dakota and they thought about getting in a cab and going down there and they said ah, hell with it we'll have another drink play some more music but that to me was the most haunting part of it 
thinking of what might have been. And James, you burst, you said you were in tears. Yeah. Um, the fact is that after Lennon's killing, the entire canon of the Beatles was draped in melancholy. You, I think you used that word, melancholy. Yeah. And it was impossible even to listen to the most exuberant, joyous early Beatles music without a sense of melancholy. And it's still that way for me. When George Harrison died, I mean, I spent six months in deep depression. And um, Newsweek at that time said, now, last week, we really said goodbye to the Beatles. And it sounds, it feels like we're ceaselessly saying goodbye to the Beatles, right? Anthology was supposed to be the end. Um, this is probably really it. Um, the official video for the song, directed by Sir Peter Jackson, first of all, the song itself is a rather plaintive song. Just its overall vibe is very sad. And um, again, just to hear John's voice is tinged with great sadness for me. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the way the video was constructed where Sir Jackson, Sir, Sir Peter was able to uh, have casually interacting with each other images from the young Beatles, um, middle-aged Beatles, and then the elderly Beatles. Uh, all of these factors were just too much for me to take, you know, and um, and so I just just broke down uncontrollably through most of the film. Uh, I will say that Sir Peter announced in advance of its release that among the archival treasures in it was. Uh, um, a segment of film footage showing the Beatles playing in their leather suits yeah. um, in, in um, 1962 that had been supplied to him by Pete Best. Right. And uh, Peter Jackson said that that film footage had never been seen before. So that was something I was very much looking forward to seeing. And it turned out that the few seconds of that footage that appears in the official music video um, uh, comes from a segment of film that has been circulating online for some time. So it may be true in a strict sense, as Sir Peter said, that it hasn't been seen before. Perhaps he meant by that that it hadn't been uh, included in some official release somewhere. Um, but to the hardcore freaks, uh, we were familiar with that footage. It uh, There's only about 45 seconds of it, and it does have sound. And yeah. it shows them doing uh, Talking About You, and another song from their Hamburg era, although I think the performance is from the UK. Um, John uh, very uh, astutely noted that there is not only the official music video, there's also a kind of 12-minute documentary that was made about the construction of Now and Then, which is also very, very moving. And I put up on my Twitter feed, at James Rosen TV, uh, one image without any commentary from me. And, and it's a picture of uh, George Harrison pony, with his man bun and ponytail from 1995. He's in Paul's home studio, and he's surrounded by microphone stands and gear and equipment. He's got his guitar. Actually, in the image, he's got a, a, a mug. He's sipping tea. And behind him is a drum head that says yeah. Susie and the Red Stripes, Yeah, uh, which, of course, was a, a, an alter ego name for, I think, a one-off single release of a reggae song by Linda, written by Linda McCartney with Paul contributing a lot to it. Uh, it recently, we saw the release for the first time of um, all the uh, of demos that were cut by Paul and Elvis Costello in yes. 1988 uh, in the same studio. Uh, and recently we saw video for all of those sessions surface like an hour's worth or so. I'm, I'm forgetting, but a lot, a large segment of video of Paul and, Elvis Costello messing around in that same studio, and you see that same drumhead, Susie and the Red Stripes. To see George Harrison posed in front of the Susie and the Red Stripes drumhead was just very meaningful to me. John, how about you? What, what, how did the uh, the video, uh, the music video, hit you? It, it, it. I just wish it was longer. You know, um, I think Peter Jackson uh, is a great rookie music video maker. I hope he does more. I've uh, <laughs> got a future ahead of him. Um, <laughs> I just wish it was longer. You know, uh, if you had told me that they were going to use a lot of Magical Mystery Tour footage of the younger Beatles mixed with the Beatles today, I would have said that's a terrible idea and I would have been wrong. Um, I think they wisely use a lot of John's clowning from yeah. the performance of Hello, Goodbye, because it, it it might seem like strange that it's so much of John being goofy 
And we've seen that footage before, but it really keeps the video from ever coming close to being mawkish or overly sentimental. In a way, John is there Good being point. a clown to make sure things don't become too maudlin, uh, which really helps. Um, I, I Honestly, I, I could watch the footage of the three of them in 1995 all day. I wish there was more. There are many, many Beatles songs that have not yet been released. Uh, there was a whole bunch of stuff they did uh, on the White Album that came out on the White Album yes. box set. But they can still release a whole album of Beatles songs that were never released on albums um, that wound up on box sets. Uh, Sour Milk Sea, you know, uh, uh, Carnival of Light, which is their experimental revolution number nine type of thing. Yeah. The fans have been calling for that to be released for decades. Paul and Ringo don't seem interested in that. I'd like but, to see the long version of Helter Skelter, that 20. Yeah, years. all the Dylan covers that they were doing on uh, on Let It Be sessions. There's still also, so, also yeah. the original version of What Goes On. From yeah, the, well, that would be from, good. To, uh, yeah, free help, I think. Yeah, That's I would good. love to yeah. see that. Black Dog Blues, because I know you love me oh. so. There's so many songs that have Black never been. Yeah, yeah. A Child of Nature was finally put out. The song that John was writing that he never released and it was it, it wound up being jealous guy yeah they finally put out child of nature on the you know giant box set for the white album which only the diehards bought it i mean there is still so much beatles content no one's heard and i hope they will one day put out an album of just song. i mean they sort of they included all the all the singles that weren't on albums in the past masters collection but i'd love to see them put out a whole collection of just complete songs that were not on any of the albums. Not if they're putting out the Red and Blue albums and rejiggering those, they can certainly do that because including the Come and Get It demo, yeah. which is so great. I mean, there's uh, Circles. That was put out on the White Album yeah. box. No one heard it. The Maharishi song, One and One is Two, Palace of yeah. the King of Birds, September in the Rain. There are so many songs I don't know. The really hard part listening to this is that we all have bootlegs. We've all heard these. And, right. and it would be... Uh, uh, but for the casual fan, when we talk about these songs, there's something to them that would... Uh, I'm not just saying it because I'm a mad Beatles fan, but there's something to them that are worth listening to if you're not. Uh, uh, if you're nothing more than song, a casual Beatle fan, and I'll go Palace to the, of the Birds. Know. Was that what it's called? Or I thought yeah. it was Castle of the King of the Birds or something. But uh, Palace of the King of the Birds. Palace of the Birds. Yeah, Palace. And of the King. That is from the the Get Back Sessions. Yeah, and it's it's a meandering thing that goes on for about ten minutes. But when they're cooking on that, it is the closest the Beatles ever came to sounding like the Grateful Dead. It is the closest <laughs> to a jam band moment for That's the Beatles. Great observation. Yeah, that and I'll you know there was a couple of things that I think I, I love to keep in mind when we talk about unreleased songs. I also think there's songs that were released on albums that, and it's hard for anyone to believe it, considering all the light that's been shown on the Beatles. But I used to think that well, everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey, uh, Hey Bulldog, and it's all too much. Were three songs that I thought were always overlooked that were far yeah. better than they gave them credit for. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I can't remember David Grohl started doing uh, a bull, uh, Hey Bulldog. And yeah. so that kind of brought that one out to the forefront and my band still does that one, but it, it's all too much then remains the one. It's all too much is the most underrated Beatles song for my money. If, if, if yeah. six months earlier, all too much had been on pepper it would now be considered a classic Beatles song that everybody would know. Yep. And it would have, and it would have worked beautifully on pepper. It would have worked oh, that album. Yeah. Instead, you know, it was buried on the, it's buried and on it's, the yellow submarine and, and only people who have that album have it. Yeah. And it's also when you, you know, they always talk about uh guitar feedback invented yeah. by the Beatles, but when you go to it's all too much and the feedback that begins that song yeah. and George's George's work, that's his song. I mean, yeah. he wrote it. He came up with a rhythm for it, the the solos, everything. But when you listen to that song, I cannot help but be moved to this day to want to get up and dance. And so the advent of the yeah. rock band music video game uh, meant uh, the unleashing of a torrent of, or I should say, bit torrent of uh, of isolated tracks. Okay, so that now for the first time, with dozens and dozens of Beatles songs. You could really hear just the vocals or just the drums or just the guitar, or just the bass or what have you. And revelatory for me as a collector of hardcore bootleg collector for 25 years at that point was um, the uh, isolated track of Paul's piano parts on A Day in the Life. 
Okay. Oh, yeah. Now, because Paul's singing on his part, when I interviewed Paul in, in 2012, uh, I had the ambition of writing a book about the song Day in the Life, and I will eventually get back to that. I've sold all my printed literature about the Beatles to Northwestern University, and so I'll have to go spend six months in Evanston when I'm ready to write that. But <laughs> I read your own work. Paul, uh, everything I ever wanted to ask Paul, I, I, I kept myself like a good reporter or historian trained on this or harnessed to the subject at hand, which was that song. So we talked about every section of that song. He was very keen for me to know that uh, the popular myth is wrong, that John had his part, Paul had his part. They slotted them together and look at that kismet. John's part, Paul wanted me to know, was far from complete. And Paul helped on a number of different parts of John's section as well. But the, the middle section where he says, you know, woke up, fell out of bed, um, Paul's singing on that is so charming and, and compelling that I'd never really heard the underlying piano part. And when you hear it in isolation, you get a sense for how extraordinarily jazzy it is. And it goes like this. It's, and, you know, and I never would have heard that if I hadn't heard I, that. I never would have described it that way, but I love it. <laughs> John knows what I'm talking about. The gung gung ka gung. Goo 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 I am he is you, I mean, we are all together. Uh, John, so you're, you're but um, to the point of, of, of unheard Beatles stuff, I think that that goes back to, I, I wish um, there were, that had been a single, actually. It's all too much. I, I, I wish it had been too, you know. Uh, it's an amazing thing to have this conversation at a time when the Rolling Stones have just put out their best album in 42 years. Yes. I mean, this Rolling Stones album is just smack you in the face. Fantastic. Last week, Bob Dylan covered Leonard Cohen's Dance Me to the End of Love while playing in Toronto. And now the final Beatles single. It's it's this was all music that I was too young for. And yet I fell in love. And now I'm old and I get to hear them completely giving us brand new music and for everyone who feels sad that there's not going to be any more new Beatles music there's always more to discover there are so many bootlegs out there for people to explore and the solo catalogs are out there I mean if you want to hear more Beatles music start checking out all of George's stuff check out Paul's stuff check out John's solo stuff most people haven't listened to anything beyond the greatest hits also, the Lennon Anthology box set, which came out in the late 90s and is out of print now. I still own my copy on on uh, on CD. There's so many tracks on there that they could have extrapolated songs out of. Olivia said, Olivia Harrison said uh, 14 years ago, they were going to put out another posthumous George album. Yeah. Still hasn't happened. And there's never been an early takes volume two. But, you know, I, I would love to hear the George Harrison estate put out more of his unreleased stuff. And also, the Verve Jazz label did something really wonderful about 20 years ago where they invited DJs in to remix classic jazz songs. And they put out a couple of records called Verve Remixed that are just great. And there's so much electronica and DJs can do with some of these original masters. And I think, you know, that's what hip hop does. That's what folk does. You take the old music and you make it new. You repurpose it in new ways yeah. to keep songs alive. When I was a kid, I was a snob and I was very against sampling. Now I realize sampling is just what folk music was. It's how Bob Dylan wrote songs and it keeps old melodies and lyrics alive for new generations. Being the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah, yeah there's, again, there's so much Beatles stuff left to discover. You know, uh, the release of the Love album was basically the Beatles uh, recognizing Master. the release of the anthology albums was the Beatles recognizing how far uh, the bootleggers had gone. And gosh, shouldn't we do a better job ourselves? Yeah. And if you yes. look at the anthology albums, they chose very carefully songs that even the hardcore freaks did not have. They yes. really surveyed the bootleg scene, right? And 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 walked around it to give you stuff that not even the bootleggers had ever had, like uh, You Know What To Do, for example. Yeah. Um, and the Love Album similarly was a Amazing. recognition on the part of the Beatles that uh, the samplers and the and the mashups had all gone very far. Well, why don't we do one? And of course, with Giles Martin in charge of it, it's always done with excellent taste, as now and then was done with excellent taste. Uh, but where sampling and mashups are concerned, I have the same fear that 10 years from now or 10 minutes from now, people won't know which was the actual version of the song. Um, and, you know, for so long, the Beatles resisted allowing their music to be used for commercials or what have you. And the well, Michael Jackson was... bought the bought, bought the the canon, yeah. 
That's <laughs> he outbid Paul and Yoko. Yes, I know. Commonly remember that Paul and Yoko were involved in that and just decided to stop bidding, which was their error. But um, uh, the the love album represents a um, an acknowledgement on the part of the Beatles that their canon, always seen as as so special, singular, and inviolable, was in fact as as uh, susceptible to digital manipulation as any other set of zeros and ones out there. And that was saddening to me. Yeah, and I, I love the Love Album. I mean, yeah, I, I, I took my Vegas to see the show live by Cirque du Soleil. Uh, that was the last CD, James, that I gave out like 20 copies of his gifts one year. Um, if, for those who don't know the Love Album, the soundtrack to the Cirque du Soleil Vegas show, honestly, it's the Beatles mashed up with the Beatles. And yeah. it, is, it is, and I'm not exaggerating, when you listen to this on the right headphones or speakers, it is so inventive what they do. If you're a big fan and you know this solo and you can recognize, oh, that guitar line on this song, it is as close as you can get to hearing the Beatles again for the first time. I won't it's, disagree. It's really with wild. That. I mean, there, there's, you know, one song can be uh, can have as many as six other songs mashed up into it. Um, yeah, and the fun they did part. A great job with it. But the it's fun a part as a as a fan is to try and, as John alluded to, trying to pick out. Where's that one come from? Where did that one? Oh, I remember that line. Oh, I remember where that guitar line came from. That was the fun part. And you're right. And it literally, it opens with the opening chord of Hard Day's Night, then yeah. goes to Ringo's only drum solo oh, yeah, from and, the Abbey Road medley. Yeah. I mean, like, okay. I say false, by the way. Ringo likes to say he only did that one drum solo. Yes. Uh, there is uh, the segment in uh, uh, I'm going to sit right down and cry over you. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. all right. There's a few drum solos in that song, I think. But, um, you know, all of our whole discussion is uh, uh, basically directed at one central thrust. And, and it can be summed up in one of the Beatles' own lyrics. And that is, it's getting very near the end. Right? I hope not. I, I think the Beatles are. Is. I and, mean, Beethoven you know, is still appreciated. Mozart is still appreciated. And I will say out. that the Beatles... It's getting you know, near the changed. end of their original content because there are only two of them left. I'll give you that. But I but don't think it's out. getting you know, near the end for the Beatles. I know normal people who say to me normal things like, James, you know, even after the Beatles are gone, That's their normal. music will live on in eternity. And we have, you know, all these new artists who cover their songs and give them new interpretations. And none of that uh, is in the least bit um, satisfactory or palliative to me. The idea that someday, very soon... You know why? Be because you're a second-generation Beatle fan, brother. <laughs> no, it's because I'm neurotic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, okay. There will be no Beatles alive is just an impermissible state. It is like a giant rip in the fabric of modernity. And well, I, I do have the sneaking suspicion that the last Beatle left alive might well be Pete Best. Look... <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that would be listen I, I want to wrap up the hour with, with the final thoughts and and i'll start with uh that's the only beetle actually i've interviewed was was pete but uh i'll start with john final thoughts with you brother final thoughts everybody listen to the the george harrison george harrison album listen to uh the ringo album um you know use this occasion uh to go ahead and listen to more of the beatles stuff even if it was solo that you haven't heard but for this record, I'm I'm so glad they did it. I wish it was longer. I wish there was more. I hope they release all of the performance footage of George, Paul, and Ringo. Um, the, the footage you can see online of them doing Blue Moon of Kentucky is just wonderful to hear. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's during the pandemic, I made a deal with God that if Paul McCartney ever toured again, because we didn't know. But if, if Paul ever toured again, that I would take my child to see him as his first concert. And last year, two days before Paul turned 80, I got to bring my son to Giant Stadium wow. uh, to see Bruce Springsteen come out and play uh, for Paul's 80th birthday show wow. as my child's first concert. So I just like to say that um, someday my kid's going to get laid in college because of that story. And, uh, <laughs> You've done a good thing as a father. <laughs> we proud dad. It's the Beatles keep paying it forward. It's all up. <laughs> James, final thoughts? That statement will prove true, John, only if every single college and university campus hasn't been burned to the ground by that time. <laughs> oh, God. But, um, you know, um, John said that the that the lesson of the Beatles was sink or swim. Um, 
I prefer the quote that I, I used in my high school yearbook, which was the movement you need is on your shoulder. Yeah. You nice. And my final thoughts are uh, of this. Uh, any chance that you get to listen to the Beatles is a good one. So listen to this new song and then go back and treat yourself to the joy of uh, what both of you pointed to earlier. These guys were just cool in so many ways. And just to listen to them today and the fact that they invented whole reams of popular music that we have listened to and enjoyed since then is something that it's hard to understand if you weren't there when it first happened. But give yourself the opportunity to open your eyes and your ears and listen with fresh ears, fresh eyes at what was just a joyous amount of music. And let me say, even if you weren't there, I mean, I wasn't alive when the Beatles were still together, but but it means what it means to you. So yeah. I love right now, somewhere in this country, some 14 year old is going to play Revolver for the first time and throw out their K-pop records. Yes. God bless them. He will not yeah. be a real fan, a true fan, unless, as you and I have done, John. He then spends $100,000 on bootlegs. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was at bootlegs when it, they weren't that expensive. But I'll, 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 I'll say this. There's nothing more joyous for me as a musician when I get up on stage or when I see a young band. And I mean, these are kids that were never had, a, you know, 20, 30-year-old kids of this century playing Beatle music. I know it'll live on. So with that said, guys, I appreciate it. this was a lot of fun because, you know, it's always good to get Beatle fans together. John, what would you like to plug, brother? Uh, you can hear me every night on Sirius XM Progress 127 or uh, our new podcast where we take uh, celebrity interviews or good journalist interviews. And uh, and uh, Sirius XM finally let us do a highlights reel. It's a free podcast every day. So that's uh, the John Fuglesang podcast and coming to a town near you with a bunch of different tours for 2024. All right. How about you, James? You can see me covering the news, uh, the White House uh, for Newsmax every day. You can uh, follow my work on Twitter at James Rosen TV. And in March, I published the first installment in a two volume biography of the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia called Scalia Rise to Greatness, 1936 to 1986. The name of this podcast is Just Ask the Question. The name of the book is Free the Press. And you can catch my stuff on salon.com every Thursday. And wherever fine podcasts are sold, you'll find us. So <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question, the Beatles edition. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>